my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to another episode of Weird Finance, where we try to help you feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I am your host, Paco De Leon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Leo Aquino. Money is a tendril that touches every part of our lives. Sometimes it's all we can focus on, especially when there isn't enough of it. Other times, money is a comfort, even if we don't want to admit it. For each of us, how we deal with money and how we find our agency over our circumstances is very personal. Hearing someone else's story can be enough to give you hope or anger you to take action. Leo Aquino is a journalist that writes about personal finance. They take a journalistic approach educating readers, for example, breaking down upcoming changes in student loan laws, but they also bring an empathetic perspective to financial journalism. Leo is a storyteller, never shying away from sharing the individual, deeply personal experiences that make up the larger financial landscape. They understand that money is not merely a numbers game, but a deeply human endeavor filled with triumphs and pitfalls, dreams and disappointments. Please enjoy my conversation with Leo. Welcome to the show, Leo. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, Leo, I want to ask you some personal questions about who you are and how you became the Leo that's sitting in front of me today. Mm-hmm. All righty. Where did you grow up, Leo? I'm very curious. Yeah, I grew up in the Philippines, in Quezon City, actually in a little area called New York. For real? New York, Cavao, yeah. Huh. Here I am, sh- like, showing you my <laughs> ignorance about my motherland. <laughs> 
yeah, it's a, uh, it's funny. <laughs> when did you come over here? 2003. Okay. 91. So that, that was like 11, 12 years old. Oh, wow. What was that experience like? It was strange. I mean, first of all, my skin was not having it. My skin was breaking out all the time. I had like really bad eczema just everywhere, like on my face, on my neck and my hands. I was really miserable because of that. Yeah, I, I remember going to school and some of the stuff they would teach, I would be like, are we okay? Like, are we just going to casually talk about slavery? <laughs> like, are we all okay? And then my first ever American field trip was to Colonial Williamsburg. Cool. So Very cool. It was just really, really weird. At school, I physically like would not speak because people used to make fun of my accent. Of course. Did you come here with your parents? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My my whole family, my mom, my dad. My dad came first. He was here like maybe two years, a year before we came. So it was like after, right after 9-11 and all of his uncles who were already like in New Jersey were like, yeah, don't come here. Don't come here right now. But we did. So, yeah. What did your parents do? What did they do in the Philippines? And then what did they end up doing here? I'm trying to think of what my parents do now. And I honestly, I'm drawing a blank. Something with data. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up in the Philippines, my parents actually started their own business. So we lived in an apartment building and there were like open offices in front of the building and so they rented out that office so i would get off the school bus every day and i would just come to their office and chill and do my little drawings on a desk and all the little interns would be like oh my god so cute you so cute this little kid and i'd be like yeah i love it here <laughs> so they were doing some kind of data thing in the philippines they were working in tech in the philippines i think they okay I'm going to try to say this to the best of my memory, but it's probably faulty. I think that they were creating a POS system for schools, which at the time was very like unheard of. It was like the 90s and, you know, they were trying to make programs. So it was very like cutting edge and, you know, they were, they were super confident. Like I really saw them like, yeah, we got this, you know, like we, we know we're in like a, like a winning industry kind of a thing. So, yeah. Can I ask you how the economics of your life changed from being in the Philippines to being in America? I would say the number one thing is that that sense of confidence, right? Because in the Philippines, I mean, both my parents, you know, have been through some up and down economics of their own when they were growing up. But I really, when I was growing up, you know, how I saw them was like, it doesn't really matter what's going on politically in the country or what the economy is like. Like, we just know that we got it. Like, we can out earn, you know, whatever is going on. But when we came to the States, it wasn't really the same. <laughs> and I would say that, you know, definitely their confidence was shaken, but it's kind of like the way that they hyped, or I feel like I saw them hype themselves up when I was a kid, hmm. they kind of transferred it to me. <laughs> so like, even when I was younger, they were always like, no, Leo, like, I know you can do this. Like they were very confident in me. And of course, we had a lot of disagreements, right? Like, as you can tell, I did not end up being a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer. And There's was, still time, Leo. <laughs> right. That was, that was a big point of contention when I was younger. But like, at the end of the day, like my parents were always biggest fans. <laughs> still, still the biggest fans. That's adorable. Yeah. At New Year's, my mom will still text me like a list of like the New York Times, you know, the, the books they're looking forward to in the coming year. And then she'll be like, when's your book going to be on here? And I was like, oh my God, can you chill? <laughs> just mom's momming. Yeah, just Asian moms. <laughs> That's adorable. So did it translate? Did it? Did there being hype on you? Or do you feel hype on yourself, Leo? Honestly, yeah, most days. Hell um, yeah. Hell yeah. Especially if I'm just like, you know, because you know, I work from home. So if I'm just here in my space and I'm like, yeah, I know I got this. But then I was thinking lately about like, you know, imposter syndrome and how like at first it was me being like oh I'm not like oh I'm not enough and, you know just like I'm not like everybody else kind of a thing and then I realized actually yeah I'm not like everybody <laughs> I'm not yeah. like everybody else but then the imposter syndrome comes from like when I'm here in my space taking meetings on this you know lovely computer and you know as a journalist people will say People will see my name and say, oh, okay, Leo Kino. And then they hop on the call with me. They see that I look like this and they're like, oh. I and feel then you. Kind of, yeah, it disarms <laughs> them a little bit, right? And as a journalist, I, you know, that makes my job a little bit harder because mm. it's my job to like get the story from, mm -hmm. 
you know, my sources and like really get to the heart of it. So then I'm just like, my imposter syndrome is not that, you know, in that case, it's not that I didn't try hard enough. It's just that there's only so much that I can do. And the other person has to come mm-hmm. meet me where I'm at. So your sources are too busy flirting with you to, to get down to the brass tacks of it, is what I'm hearing. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the world of personal finance has archetypes, at least from the way that I can view it. And there are people like me who have this finance degree and this like very serious finance background. And then we end up moving into this content slash propaganda space. Then there are folks who they go through like their own journey, like they got out of a crazy amount of debt um, and now they're blogging about it. And that's, you know, they're like, I guess that's more of like an influencer vibe. And then you have like real journalists, which I don't consider myself like a real journalist. I mean, I guess I talk to sources, but I don't, uh, I don't think I approach things from a journalist perspective. I think I approach it from more like a op-ed perspective. But with you, I think you fall into the latter two categories where you've gone on your own journey, but then you're a legit ass journalist. And that seems typical on its face, but I think you're not, I don't think, I know that your background, what you've experienced is very atypical for the kind of person who's like, let me give you financial advice now. And so I would love it if you would take some time to walk us through your own journey and some of the experiences that led you to become the personal finance expert slash journalist that you are today? Yeah. Thank you for that question. I'm excited to answer it. Yeah, I was thinking about this and I was trying to pinpoint the time that I was like, you know, I really have to change my relationship to money. And I would say I was around like 25, 26. And I real, I like just looked around and I was like, you know, every single relationship in my life, whether it's work or platonic or romantic or my family, it just feels so transactional and like where does that come from and you know i'm a normal person i wasn't just sitting there on a friday afternoon like thinking these deep (laughs) i like therapy you know what i mean like (laughs) i got help okay and in therapy i mean this is very common of like western white therapy right like their their default is like well you got to blame your parents and like (laughs) look into your upbringing and stuff and you know i just said earlier like my parents still are my biggest hype men and supporters. And even though things aren't perfect, like it just didn't really sit right with me that I was like, okay, I'm going to go to therapy on my parents' insurance and then just like blame my parents for everything. You know what I mean? So I turned 26, hence lost the therapy connect. (laughs) The joke's on you. The table's turned. That's instant karma. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I couldn't afford to go to therapy anymore. But what I did have, I was living in New York City And, you know, I have been like exploring, I'm a late bloomer on the coming out part. So I've been like exploring my sexuality and some gender stuff like early on. And thankfully, because, you know, the universe is a very abundant place. I found like a Filipinx queer support group. So I started going there and their point of view is very like anti-imperialist and just really getting into what are the cultural socioeconomic reasons that our family dynamics are actually this way versus like, I'm just going to go to white Western therapy and like blame my parents for everything, you know? And I also had like a realization at the time that, you know, the end goal of being in therapy that is like rooted in capitalism is like, okay, well, you're going to stay, you're going to be well enough to work your nine to five job. Like that's, that's kind of it. Right. And I kind of was like, okay, I understand that's not working for me. I need to like find different modes of community support. So besides the Filipinx queer support group, there were other like spiritual communities that I was a part of in New York. I also started at the time I was cosplaying as a woman. So I started a book club for women of color in Bed-Stuy, which is still going. It's taken on by two of my dear friends, Danielle and Janika. A lot of like my processing about my own personal finances and my relationship to money, it happened like in community. Like I'd be like, Mm. yeah, here's what happened to me. And then somebody else would be like, yeah, that happened to me too. And then another you know, elder gay would pop up and be like, yeah, and here's why, like, here's, you know, the bigger picture of why. So that's kind of like 
how I really started in the personal finance space, I would say. And then around that time, I also started freelancing as a writer and, you know, don't be fooled. I, when I was starting out, I was like, I just got to eat. So I'll take whatever work. And at the time it happened to be like sex and relationships and like beauty, fashion, uh, culture, that kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, like someone's paying me to write, like, cool, I'll show up. <laughs> Eventually I applied for a job at Insider and I didn't get it. <laughs> I got really far and I didn't get it, but the editor was like, you know what? I really like you. So can you stay as a freelancer? And I was like, Okay, but so then I wrote this article about how I couldn't afford to pay my credit card bills and what that did to my mental health. Mm. It went gangbusters, like over 3 million views or something. Damn. And they were like, yeah, this is doing really well. Do you want to come full time? <laughs> I was like, okay, but and now I'm here. <laughs> Crazy. Did you want to write about money? At first? No, I, well, I just didn't actually... When they offered me the job, I was at this point in my career where I was like, you know, I just had no idea that like a writing career would even turn out like this. It just turned out yeah, already at that point, way more than my wildest dreams, you know, that I was like at this point where I was like, okay, universe, I'm just going to let go of what I think I want. And then whatever opportunities present themselves, I'm just going to like lean into it. And I'm just going to believe that y'all want me to be there. <laughs> so that resonates with me big time. I yeah. did. Yeah. I never was like, I'm going to be a writer. Mm-hmm. I, I was just like, I can communicate things effectively. I know that I'm good at communicating because like you, I've always felt like if I go into a room, people are going to have their defenses up because of what I look like and who I am. And maybe that's, partially true and it's partially in my mind. I think it's a little bit of both mm-hmm. or a lot of bit of both, but yeah, the same thing kind of happened. I was mostly writing because I Googled like how to do online business. And it was like, you have to do something called content marketing. And I was like, I have another job that I didn't think it's like, okay, fine. I have another job. Yeah. It's fine. So I just started every time one of my friends would text me something annoying, like, should I start an S corp or an LLC? I would just like write an article text it back to them. And I would say, if there are more questions after you read this, tell me in the text message. So I'll put it in the article. So no one ever has to ask me this ever again. And I love you. Yeah. And that's how I started writing. And it just got wildly out of control. So I feel you. And after a while, I was like, I guess this is what the world wants of me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm the same. I mean, I was always a writer. I even had like a personal newsletter for a while where I would just like, you know, whore out my wild dating stories. And yeah, I had rage quit my job in fashion. And I legit was just Googling, what can, what jobs can I do from home? <laughs> and this was like, I don't know, 2017, 2018. And it was like, oh, writing. You could like write. I was like, yeah, I love writing. <laughs> Here we are. That's <laughs> so wild. Yeah. That's so wild. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with, of course, your perspective, your worldview and everything that you've gone through, it's, you know, like I was saying earlier, stories like yours haven't been shared before, and especially through the lens of finance, which is why I think so many people, we're just, we're just happy that we have another perspective on it. So thank you for showing up and doing your thing and Mm. giving us another way to look at the world. Oh, thank you. I received that. Thank you for your work too. It's nice because I feel like I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. I think it can be really isolating working in a newsroom that most of the readers are already hold capital, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, Versus where I come from, like we don't always start with cap. In fact, we're starting with debt. So um, I think it can be really isolating sometimes to be like, I just want to write from this perspective. And so to be able to, to connect with people like you, although you're not in my particular newsroom you're in like the same kind of sphere of influence slash propaganda as you were earlier saying <laughs> and so yeah it's it's really nice to find your people yeah we're we're both out here doing god's work basically mm-hmm. i want to ask you if you have any advice for any people who might be listening in there maybe they're in a precarious financial situation or they are 
struggling with student loan debt, which I know you've talked about extensively, or housing insecurity, another thing that you've talked about, written about extensively? I guess the first thing I would say, uh, especially uh, queer and trans people, women, people of color, we have a tendency to, when we're in these situations, go directly to self-blame. And that only makes the situation so much harder. And also that that voice in your head that's saying like, oh, it's all my fault. Or if I could have just not bought, you know, that one dinner, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have been behind on my rent and I would still have a house. Like that, like that line of thinking is just not true. <laughs> Anytime these things happen, you know, I would really encourage folks to remember that uh, it's happening to you and it is not who you are, you know? So that's like really the first step because you can't really get into a mindset of thinking, how do I solve this impossible problem in front of me? Mm -hmm. Unless you're first like, yeah, I'm good. Like I didn't cause any of this to happen. It's just happening, you know? So yeah, I think that would be my first like step zero, you know, piece of advice. I love it. Thank you. Gotta be right with yourself, right? As Lauren Hill says, how are you going to win when you ain't right within? Amen. I love Lauren Hill. Me too. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to wait until the last minute to give all my tax documents to my accountant. I thought... I can handle the rush and get everything done on time. But I was wrong. 
couple years ago, I missed the tax deadline altogether. I had to pay penalties and interest. It was a bummer and mad costly mistake that could have been easily avoided. Besides penalties, I also found that waiting until the last minute, I was rushing through my tax preparation, which led to errors and missed deductions. Stupid, I know. Now, I start gathering my tax documents early and give myself plenty of time to review them for accuracy. Being prepared means I make sure to contribute to my retirement account and health savings account before the deadline instead of frantically trying to process my contributions in the 11th hour. Waiting until the last minute is just not worth the stress, bro. And potential mistakes, uh-uh. Every year, I take control of my finances and plan ahead for tax season. When it comes to procrastinating with your tax documents, just say no. Weird Finance Weird Finance Weird Finance Weird Finance All right, Leo, so I went to 13 years of Catholic school. And I got a lot of good things out of it. I feel like I really value education. And I went to an all-girls Catholic school, and that was great. Me too. <laughs> but one of the things that I got out of going to Catholic school that wasn't great was, you know, decades of messaging that if you're queer, then you are fundamentally flawed, that there's something wrong with you at your core. And of course, I internalized this message. And for me, what that turned into was this idea, this feeling that I was just not enough. And I saw that this wound that it created, I saw it showing up in my relationship with money. One of the ways was I under-earned forever for a long time. I undercharged. When I finally went off on my own, I was like, oh, I'm under-earning because th that dude's not paying me enough. And then I went off on my own and then I undercharged. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what's the common denominator here? <laughs> and I can even look back at some of my spending that was reckless or my not saving. And I think a lot of it can be traced back to this internalized idea of just not being worthy, not being enough. And it's something, you know, it's layers because the, the minute I think it's healed, I'm presented with like another way to face and confront this. So I want to ask you, do you, does this relate to you at all whatsoever? How has being trans and being queer, how does that translate to how you relate to money? Yeah. Shout out to all of us who went to an all-girls Catholic school <laughs> and then turned out gay. <laughs> Joke's on you, parents. Right. Thanks for sending me there. <laughs> A couple ways to answer this question. For me, I proudly identify as pansexual. There was a time where I was like, okay, I could stay like, oh, you know, a woman, quote unquote. I could continue to like date men, get married to men, whatever. And just like, what was I doing? At the time I was like going on Craigslist to go on dates with girls. I mean, I'm aging myself here. So when I was younger, I really was like, okay, as long as I can hide who I really am, that I'll continue to be like economically safe. You know what I mean? Damn. And the persona that I was wearing was like very much girl boss energy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Gross girl boss. Do you remember the uh the CEO of that, the founder of that company Thinks, who got like Yeah. Fired, shame fired, you know? I'm trying to remember their name. Cause she was like mad mad and professional and like answering like work calls on the toilet or something. <laughs> That's, like, so, that's so weird. I feel like that would have been me if I had like kept staying in the closet. You know what I'm well, saying? Like I was, I was on that track. <laughs> like I would have just been really hella inappropriate girl, like closeted girl boss. And yeah, that was kind of the deal that I made with the God of my understanding at the time. Like if I could hide who I really am, then I'm just going to continue to be successful enough to provide for myself, you know? And also as like the oldest quote unquote daughter, like I always had in the back of my mind, it would be my job to eventually like provide for my parents. So I was like, okay, if I can keep riding that wave and 
climbing this girl boss, you know, corporate ladder, <laughs> then like I'll be able to take care of us all. And that's just the trade-off that I have to make. The sacrifice, huh? Mm-hmm. Damn. And turns out I can still make money while I'm out. <laughs> so now I'm kind of looking back at those years like, what did I do? Like that was major under-earning. Under-earning, I think, of obviously is about the money, but it's not always about the money, right? Because if I can't show up to work and bring my whole self, then I don't like, it's just why? <laughs> like, it's just, you know, a waste, a waste of time. And I, if I can't, if I don't feel safe enough to say, you know, here are, here are my ideas and here's, here's what I think needs to be disrupted, then I feel like I would be, I would just be so dishonest yeah. to myself and as a writer to the readers that I'm trying to serve. So yeah. Yeah. It sounds kind of corny, but like the more you're just true to yourself, that actually can translate into more money. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, this is anecdotal, like between you and I, it feels like that has been the narrative for us. And that has been the truth for us. Like the more, cause yeah, when I was working in a financial planning office, I was like kind of a robot, you know, like all weird and corporate and trying to mirror what I thought other people expected of a professional. And now I just am fully my weird self on this podcast. And the more I do that, the more that I've allowed myself to do that, the better things, like the more opportunities pop up. It's really, again, it sounds corny and it sounds simple and it sounds like a platitude, but I mean, what is, yeah, the alternative feels like there's so much energy that you put into keeping the facade up instead of just doing what you're there to do. Yeah. Oh my God. I used to... I used to spend so much time wearing or wearing makeup, putting on makeup. Do you wear makeup, Paco? I put makeup on for you today, Leo. Oh my God. (laughs) I used to wear a lot of makeup and now I'm like, I can't stand it. I can't. I'm just, I'm more of a skincare hoe for real. Okay. Maybe you'll come back around it. And by makeup, I mean, I like put something on my eyebrows. God bless. And a little something under my under, like under my eye. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of cheek stuff to look adorable, like a little cherub. Okay. So. You do look like an angel. <laughs> you look like a queer angel. So queer angel at AOL.com. <laughs> My new email. I would also say it's not really just about identity. Okay. And no, it's not just about my queer identity regarding the underearning. Let me say this. When I was working in the fashion industry, I first of all, I don't even know what I was doing there because they hated me. They're really fatphobic. Right? Like the fashion industry is so fatphobic. And actually, when I was in college and I was studying uh, design, fashion design, every single year we were supposed to get internships. I could not find a single internship except for at Time Out Chicago when I was writing for like the beauty and fashion section. <laughs> you know, so I feel like the universe is always like, dude, just write. You know what I yeah. mean? And I was like, no, I'm going to work in fashion where everyone fucking hates me. <laughs> All the places that I interned, they wouldn't even go up to my size of clothes. And I was like slaving away for free. That's <laughs> like, so you know, crazy. Yeah, it was wild. Eventually, the job that I rage quit when I was working in fashion, they were uh, a company that at first made clothes locally, like made in New York and also California. And I was the production manager there. And my job was to make sure that the clothes were getting made to like certain specifications to certain quality control. And, uh, and then I would go over to the factories every day and it was my job to say, Hey, can you make this faster and cheaper? (laughs) And Oh my God, I had like gastritis. Like I just, you know, I was like shitting myself every day, like, you know, just acid reflux. Like I just did not feel good in my body because when I went to those factories, the people who worked there, who are mostly like older immigrant women, some of them undocumented, when I like, I was like, yeah, I really like these people feel like my family. And then the company that I was working for was this like white startup. And it was just wild to me that I was trying to cheat these workers on this white company's behalf. <laughs> you know, that to me, beyond the queer identity stuff, it was like that it just was not aligned with my values and it just didn't feel right. I remember I went to that factory once and I, I, I'm i really prone to nosebleeds. I don't know. I've had them since I was a kid. So I went there once 
and I had a nosebleed and I was trying to play it cool. I was like, I was like this, I was trying to be cool about it, but I was like, uh, I need to use the bathroom. And then the thing is that those factories, you have to bring your own toilet paper. Oh, damn. So, like they wouldn't provide also the bathroom. Like, for, like in America? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the workers had to bring their own toilet paper, right? What? So the, That sounds like a bathroom <laughs> in Asia. Okay. Listen, the story gets better. So I'm sitting here like this. We try to play cool. I'm like bleeding, like, you know, and I'm like, hey, I got to use the bathroom. So the factory manager is like, okay, here's my like wad of napkins that you can take with you to the bathroom. Like, go for it. The door to the stall doesn't even close. So I'm like one hand like this with the napkins, like closing it. And I was like, okay, like this is, this is happening in New York City. This is like in Midtown, New York. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. wild. Um, at some point, the company did eventually start making clothes in China. So I got to visit our factory in China where they had an infinitely nicer bathroom with many stalls, with doors that close and toilet paper provided. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's just wild. It's really wild. <laughs> thank you for sharing that story, Leo. Yeah. All right. I want to, I want you to put your journalistic hat on and I want to talk to you about the uptick in these anti-trans bills that have been popping up around the country and how they might be affecting the financial lives of trans folks. Yeah, sure, sure. So this year alone, 44 states have either introduced or passed anti-trans legislation. And this either comes in the form of a drag ban, like they have already passed in Tennessee, where they're criminalizing drag performers, but it also criminalizes anyone who just dresses in a gender non-conforming way, which, I mean, I can't go to Tennessee. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Bathroom bills are another one of them. Wait, hold on. Can we just go back on the clothing thing? Because when I go shopping, I look in the men's section, the women's section, the boys' section, and the girls' section. I Same. <laughs> I don't care where it's made. I care if I'm vibing with it and it looks cool or whatever. Does that mean you could get a citation, like a ticket, if I'm wearing like a suit? Oh, if you're wearing a suit. I believe that I actually don't know the exact mechanics of how they're going to enforce the drag bill. Right. Or is it like if you're like on a stage in a... Yeah. But I think that if you're also dressing in a non-conformity, just like walking down the street and an outfit that doesn't seem to fit your gender, you could get in trouble with authorities, which... That's bizarre. Scares me more, to be honest. That's so bizarre. That makes... Yeah. Okay, cool. That's where the energy is being focused right now. So there's that. T tell me about the bathroom bills. So bathroom bills, there's a couple different types. Uh, one type is that you can't use a bathroom that is misaligned with your assigned sex at birth if there are minors present. And then there are others where you can't, you just can't use them at all. And so if I go into the bathroom in, let's say, Arkansas... If I go into the men's room, a cis person could effectively call the cops on me. and I would be arrested. That's wild. Another type of anti-trans legislation or healthcare bans, which is actually the more serious one. So uh, certain states will criminalize parents who are trying to give trans children gender affirming care, not just parents, but actually like medical professionals. So the scariest one is in Florida. There's a Senate bill, SB 254 that allows CPS to interfere with, you know, families of supportive trans youth so they can actually separate trans kids from their supportive parents. I just interviewed a source actually yesterday who is now up and moving to Minnesota in August because she lives in Florida. She is a trans kid and she was like, oh, this is getting really dangerous for us. So she She's never even been to Minnesota. So, you know. Wow. Cold as fuck there too. Yeah, for real. Wow. So, I mean, I can now see the obvious, par like I can see the through lines or I can connect A to B now when you're talking about how these bills can impact people's finances. Having to uproot your life and move from Florida to Minnesota is obviously going to be costly. What about work? And then if you are in trouble with the law, all of the financial consequences that, you know, are in play there, especially if you have to go to jail and you have to pay bail and all that stuff. 
Is there anything else I'm missing? Can you elaborate a little bit more on on how people's finances are being impacted here? For sure. The biggest thing, I mean, there are very material ways in which the people who are actually in these states are going to be affected, right? Like they're going to have to take on debt if they don't have savings to be able to afford to move or major side hustles to even just raise the money to get there. There are some people, I mean, right now, it's only Minnesota and California that are officially labeled sanctuary states, which means that the elected officials there have promised to keep trans rights intact. But even then, like, come on, the cost of living in California, like who can afford that, right? So it's very possible that there are families who are going to say, or families or trans adults who are going to say, you know what, I'm not safe, you know, here in Tennessee, in Arkansas, Arizona, Mississippi, South Dakota. And they're probably going to move to LA and they're going to, same thing that I did when I was first came here in 2020, either hodgepodge around people's couches, find hostels, or God forbid they have to sleep in their cars. They're going to have to find like the safest parking lots to park in. And that's just, you know, these are some of the material realities. But I will say that overall, when when there's a lot of political unrest, you know, as queer and trans folks, we tend to internalize that. So there are some people who maybe they work in corporate and they've been there for some time and they've been working out the courage to come out as trans at work. And they're like, you know what, now is not a good time to do that. And I think as we just spoke about, like being suppressing your identity at work leads to major under earning, right? And that's one of the things I will say, I mean, this happened to me, my God. And like, I was looking at my finances in Q1, my personal finances in Q1. And I was like, man, I did a lot of comfort eating out and like, just in, in an effort to hang out with more friends, like, you know, more like fun plays and just, just like, like self-soothing, which I'm not saying like, don't do that. It's very valid in these times, but I was just scared. And I was like spending money emotionally because I was scared. And it's a privilege to even be able to say like, I have something to spend when I'm scared. You know what I mean? And I think it's happening across the country. And I think that historically it's something that has happened because if you think about it during the HIV epidemic, there are a lot of queer and trans folks from that time who were told like either like either they had it themselves or you know they knew someone who was dying of HIV and what does that make you do like you spend impulsively when you're grieving and i think it's something that is not spoken about enough and also as much as i encourage people to do whatever they need to like self soothe during this time like i also will say we can do that and still spend money almost like as a prayer that we're just going to have a long future and we're going to survive this time, you know? Damn, Leo, thank you. Can you give us some advice for what we can do? Where can we find our agency in terms of, you know, working towards dismantling these structures of oppression that uphold capitalism and white supremacy and transphobia? I know it's it's really overwhelming to think about, but even if you can just give us small actions that we can start taking today, I think that would that would help people feel a little bit more in control. First thing that comes to mind, actually, Paco, is from your book. You had that little rainbow list of things to do to get into your window of tolerance before you sit down and like spend some time with your money. And I would say, especially all, all the folks I know who are in their anti-oppression work, same thing, <laughs> get in your window of tolerance. Like you really... We really can't do this work without properly resourcing ourselves. And to that end, I will also say that I see a lot of, I mean, um, we were at book club in January, right? And there were so many folks, you know, I think there was a question about what is the time that you start to make like mutual aid donations and give back to the community And by the same token, when we asked, like, who in this room feels like they're under earning, everyone except for, like, one or two people raised their hands. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like sometimes as queer and trans folks, especially in anti-oppression work, we just have this undying passion and optimism that the world can really change. But then we tend to take it on ourselves or we tend to take it on without enough resources to actually, like, sustain that work. 
And it comes from like a lack of faith that our allies are actually going to show up for us, right? And really, like I'm saying that to the general audience, but I'm saying that for myself, you know what I mean? Like it's happening to me too. And I think that at the end of the day, for anyone who is really trying to show up and change the world, you just have to focus on realistically, what can I do this week that's actually going to make an impact or this week, today, this month, like give it, give it like a little start and end time. So you don't feel so overwhelmed and so that you don't feel like everything has to happen at once right now. Also, for anyone who is in their anti-oppression work, like just believe that you're not really starting this all on your own. Like there's already so many resources that exist. And I would just keep asking people like where to find those books or those TED Talks or those poets, speakers that you're looking for instead of trying to be like, I know, I know I can start this all on my own. Like, no, it's really a community effort. That's good advice. And it actually makes me think about my own perspective on my work and how I think about why I'm here and how I do what I do. Like how people like to ask me, like when I do interviews, they like to ask me, like, how is your disposition the way it is? Like, how are you sunny when confronting the dumpster fire of life? (laughs) And my answer is always like very simplistic. Like I get enough sleep. I drink enough water. I exercise every day. I meditate. I belong to a community. I see my friends a lot and my work is meaningful. That's like 99% of why I can be sunny and during, you know, looking at life and its challenges. But the other thing that's really impactful for me and in my perspective, and it really like hits the same note that you were hitting is that I look at my work as I'm part of a cohort. Like you're in my cohort, like we're in the same class. And we're all just working on a one degree of a vibe yes. shift. Yes. And that's all we can expect in our lifetime from our life's work. Yeah. Which is crazy, but it's just how progress is. It's slow. Mm-hmm. And when we're done, when we're adorable and wrinkly and nobody wants to hear from us anymore, we pass the ball to the next generation who then moves it one degree again. Mm-hmm. And I think when you realize that, when you're part of a cohort, you're part of a class, you're part of a whole group of individuals helping raise the consciousness, one, it's less lonely. And two, you realize that your small actions aligned with all of these other people's small actions. That's what makes the difference. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for being part of my cohort and my class, Leo. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you. Before I let you go, I want to ask you some rapid fire questions. Okay, bet. All right, Leo. Is there anything that you've purchased that to the naked eye might seem frivolous, but for you was money well spent? Yes, I can never live anywhere without a pool anymore. Damn. That's good to know. When I text you in August, you're going to know what I'm texting you about. Listen, you're <laughs> you're welcome to come to the trans pool, okay? <laughs> no, I have chronic pain, so Damn the pool it. actually... <laughs> That's like a sad turn, Leo. I'm sorry for your chronic pain. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad the pool helps though. Mm-hmm. What's one piece of advice, financial or otherwise, that you'd give to your younger self? I almost said, don't take out that student loan. But even now I'm like, no regrets, buddy. You did that. <laughs> nice. That's healing. Yeah. You know what? I would tell my younger self to uh, stop drinking coffee from Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I did that a lot. Actually, when I was in high school, I was working all the time. And then I was like, yeah, I'm saving up money for college, but I would just always go to Starbucks because I had a crush on somebody that worked there. <laughs> I would be like, yeah, he ain't all that. Save your money. <laughs> That's it. That's so weird because you're like somehow, like you are going back with the latte advice there. You're taking back the latte advice. <laughs> Yo, I didn't even realize that. That's so wild. I appreciate that, Leo. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Good. That's a great one. All right. Tell me, did you have any financial superstitions growing up? Yeah, you had to clean your house at New Year's and eat noodles so that you, the money could come in. I never heard the eat noodles so the money could come in. I think it's eat noodles. No, eat noodles for a long life. Right? Long life. Oh, yeah. You have round things in your house. Yeah. Round food. I think if 
if you're talking about the Filipino superstitions, it's like 13 round fruits. <laughs> I was at Whole Foods on New Year's Eve getting some round fruits for myself. I didn't do the full 13. I just got a few because I don't want to, I want to honor my ancestors, but I don't want to fully buy in, right? Mm -hmm. And I saw this adorable Filipino couple oh. clearly getting 13 pieces of round fruit there. And oh. I was like, I feel like I'm with my people right now. Yeah. Don't you love going to a grocery store and seeing another Filipino person there? It's actually the best. That's why I love to go to Jollibee. I mean, I went today and also just like every now and then because I just need, I just need it. I love to go to the seafood city next door. I also love to go to groceries in Thai town because they're also there. I've never gone to a grocery in Thai town, actually, come to think of it. But to answer your question, I like seeing Filipino people everywhere. True, true, <laughs> true. All right, last one for you, Leo. Do you have any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? I have many times applied to apartments I can't actually afford. And I can uh, look back and laugh at that because I was never approved. So, <laughs> Did you think you were going to get approved? The last couple of times, yeah, because I actually, like, I, you know, you know how it is. You have, like, the money sometimes to get the apartment. But if you look at your monthly income, you don't actually have it, have it. So this past time, I thought I was going to get approved. But then I didn't because I had just gotten my legal name change and they accused me of fraud. <laughs> So I didn't get it. Damn. So yeah, sorry. These things are getting dark real quick. I'm so sorry. That was not my intention. Well, you know, if it's the reality, Leo, it's the reality. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for sharing and being open and honest and, you know, sharing yeah. the reality. Appreciate it. Where can the folks follow you and find you on the internet, Leo? Yeah, sure. I am at Queer and Trans Wealth on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok, although I'm a little, uh, I feel too old to be on there. So I'm not as consistent, but I'm there. <laughs> I feel you. I'm the same way. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me, Leo. I'm sure that there will be many, many more to come. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was... And that time when we did the science experiment and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He 
did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now it's time for the economic update with financial astrologer Susan Goodell. Susan is our resident economic cosmonaut that does what many humans have done before us for thousands of years. She looks to the stars to better understand our economic present and to predict our financial futures. Susan, it's always wonderful to see you, and uh, thank you for coming back today to give us our economic update for the month of August. Sure. Nice to be here, Paco. Nice to see you, too. So, August. Venus is retrograde all month. So, the good news is, is that it is a fabulous time to renegotiate any kinds of loans that you have outstanding your house, your credit cards, um, any kind of financial deal that you want to get a better deal on, now is the month to do it. But do it before Mercury turns retrograde. Oh, no. On August 23. <laughs> and they will be retrograde together from August 23 through September 3, when Venus turns direct again. So that that period, those 10 days, are, whoa, Nelly, don't do anything financially contract-related because it could all go south pretty quickly with because of the Mercury uh, influence that, that messes up communications, understandings, um, contracts, details, things like that. How are we ever supposed to get anything done when Mercury goes into retrograde what seems like several times a year? Well, it does. Three times a year, three weeks at a time. And from a business point of view, Mercury Retrograde is good for reaching out to old clients, to reviewing old marketing campaigns, to bring out an old marketing campaign that has worked in the past. Those are all good things. I like that. Reach out to old lists that you have. Okay. You can still, you can still get in touch with them. So Venus and Mercury are, Venus is retrograde, Mercury will turn retrograde in August. And guess who's meeting while they are both retrograde? The Fed. Yes. <laughs> With all their central banker cohorts from around the world at the big Jackson Hole, Wyoming economic summit that the Ooh. Kansas City Fed sponsors every year. That's August 24 through 26. So Mercury retrograde, Venus retrograde. I think that, that under the influence of that, the hundred plus people that go to it, big highfalutin, you know, movers and shakers from around the world in the financial field will really be under the influence of that and put their focus on reviewing the situation, mm. reviewing what has worked from a financial perspective. Let's put our heads together and let's take another look at what we've been doing and how that's working out. I don't think it's going to be a time for them to be thinking up brand new things to do. And, oh, we got to move forward with this. Mm -mm. With both those planets retrograde while they're meeting, I think they have to slow down, say, okay, we've been on this path for a couple of years now. How are we doing? I like that. So maybe reflecting on all the interest rate hikes and what's to come moving forward. I hope so, but we'll see. And then Uranus turns retrograde. Okay. Uh, at the end of the month. A lot of retrogrades. And it's in a financial sign of Taurus. So Uranus in Taurus is about financial disruption. And when it's retrograde, it reviews that. So things like crypto probably come to mind with Uranus retrograde or the interest rate hikes in the interest rate plans. And that's retrograde till the end of January. 
So a lot of review in August. So, you know, kind of end of summer chill. I like that. Maybe before school starts, right? Before everything ramps up again, we have an opportunity to kind of reflect. Yeah, I think so. And then at the end of the month, have a blue moon party because we've got two full moons in August, one on the 1st and one on the 30th. So two full moons in one calendar month makes the second one the once in a blue moon that you've heard about. So do people uh, that's really just have- kind of fun. Do people really have blue moon parties? I did once. <laughs> I like that. Of course you did. It, when it was on, on New Year's Eve. Oh, nice. Uh, New Year's Eve blue moon party. Yeah, it was fun. We all had blue hair and we drank blue, drank blue drinks and ate blue food. And <laughs> Well, isn't that adorable, Susan? <laughs> yep. Big fun. So we got a bunch of retrogrades and a blue moon party. And... The other thing that's interesting, I think, is that gold looks like it could be making a high early in the month. Mm. I'm looking at August 8 as being particularly favorable to prices um, because the, the sun, the moon, Mercury, and Venus in gold's first trade chart are all being activated by the transiting planets in a really favorable kind of way. For all you commodity traders out there, that's the inside scoop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and I like gold a lot, so <laughs> don't I have we to all? watch for that. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, one more thing about Venus retrograde, just generally, typically bearish for the stock market. Not terribly, maybe 10%-ish through August into Labor Day weekend. And I know it's been in rallying here at the end of July, but August 5, another um, astrological date. Yeah, August 5, astrological date to watch. That is halfway between the summer solstice and the fall equinox and could be uh, when the trend changes. Got it. That sounds great, Susan. Well, all right. Anything else that we should be looking out for this August? No, that kind of does it. Venus, Mercury retrograde, the Fed, Jackson Hole. Those are the big ones. Sounds good. A little bit of a bear market. So don't get too bummed out when you see your retirement statement dip a bit. Nah. I guess we'll catch you then in September, Susan. Thank you for joining us again. Yep. See you again soon. Take care. Take care. Thank you again for listening to Weird Finance. If you like the show, please express that like by giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. And if you'd like to receive even more content from me, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Nerd Letter. Each week, I'll send you a short email of things I've read and recommend. Sign up for it at thehellyagroup.com. Here we are at the end of another episode of Weird Finance, an iHeartMedia production, and just would not be possible without the help of many wonderful, caring, hardworking, and talented folks like my producer, Ramsey Yunt. He produced, edited, did some sound design, and he even sang a little bit on this episode. Thank you so much to Susan Goodell for her expertise and guidance on this episode's economic outlook. Thank you to my friend Michael Frosty Snow for lending your voice for this week's PSA. Our theme song was written and performed by me and my dear, dear friends, Jenna Parker and Andrew Parker. If you have any comments, questions about money, suggestions, or you want to be a part of the show, give us a call at 833-ASK-PACO. That's 833-275-7226. Or send us an email at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. That's it. We'll catch you here next week. In the meantime, take care. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place 
for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts